Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand our feet tonight. Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20 tonight. And uh, I, several weeks ago now, um, we came in and it was an anniversary of sorts for us as a church and for me and my family. And uh, we came here because uh, five years ago we had preached in this passage. And uh, my intention was, was just to simply reminisce and share a message that the Lord allowed for me to preach those years ago that I feel like the Lord used. And then with so many in our folks uh, that, that are new uh, in the last five years that were not here then, uh, just to share that message that so many of you that weren't here said God used to bless your heart. And I'll be honest with you, we be- I began to preach it uh, now, not long, no longer as a guest preacher or a pastoral candidate, but as the pastor. And it was not anything like my, I didn't hardly look at the notes. It wasn't anything uh, like it was before. Last time I preached it, directed a lot of it at Brother Caldwell and the situation of the transition in the church. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it did not go anything like I planned. But I will say this, if there has ever been a time in my life to where I knew that God was pulling me away from this and was pulling me to speak to a congregation, uh, I knew God was using me to do that that night. And you'll never hear me say this this very, very often. But if you were not here that night, I do encourage you, go on Facebook, go on YouTube, go on one of our church podcasts and, and, and take uh, take a little bit of time. I, and and I can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't even give you a review tonight as to what all we preached in that service. I just knew God was leading us here and there and just different places. And, uh, and I appreciate the Lord's help that night. And so we'll pick up somewhere in this and we'll try to go in some direction. Amen. Acts chapter number 20, uh, verse number 17 is where we'll begin. And uh, it's a good spirit in the house of God tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. I appreciate the goodness of God and the goodness of God's people. Verse 17, the Bible says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Notice verse Verse 24, what a powerful verse of Scripture. And I believe this should be a prayer to every Christian. But none of these things move me. 
Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now brethren I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance all among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken he kneeled down and prayed with them all and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him onto the ship. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer and get the message that the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you one more time today, asking you as we have come in these doors, Lord, you've already ministered our hearts in a special way. Lord, it's just, been, it's just been good to be around your people. Lord God, it's just been good to have the, the family back together again. Lord, it's been good to have some of these, Lord, that were sick and are now able to be with us today. Lord, it's been good to have Brother Lewis and Miss Cindy and the family, Lord, back with us from preaching out tonight and preaching out this morning back with us tonight. Lord, it's just been good to be together again and to be able to fellowship again and to rejoice in how you use, uh, Lord, lives and how you touch people for the cause of Christ and use them, Lord, for the spreading of the gospel. Lord, how wonderful it is, Lord, to be able to have a missionary serving you out of our church and reaching people, uh, Lord, with the gospel in the prisons. Lord, to be able to have, uh, Lord, a, a, a missionary around the world, uh, Lord, in a place like where Brother Hendricks is, and uh, God, that is very close to the gospel in so many ways, and Lord God, one, it's one close door after another closed door but yet in the midst of closed doors it seems like you have given great favor upon the ministry and you're touching the church and you're touching the radio that they have and Lord you're touching the schools and Lord you're touching the college both online and in person and God just how wonderful it is and then on a personal note to see how you're blessing the family and Lord the boys are getting married and Lord they're surrendering to specific areas of service and Lord 
Lord. Just how wonderful that is to see how you're blessing and, and touching God. It's just so wonderful to be able to come together and sing and to know what we're singing about and to be able, uh, Lord, to have Michael get up and, Lord, spend a few moments rejoicing in your goodness and then singing to us about, I'd rather have Jesus. And, Lord, how we're so reminded that's the way we ought to be. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help our heart to always, uh, Lord, have that as a cry of our heart and our lives. Lord, that we would rather have you than anything. We'd rather have you than the world's applause. We'd rather have you than houses or land. We'd rather have you than all the world affords today. Lord, you are sweeter, uh, Lord, than uh, honey from out of the comb. Lord, you are so wonderful, and we love you, and we give you glory. And, Father, I pray, dear God, that you would help me to be used in your hand during this time coming off of such a wonderful worship service already and then a good great service this morning and I pray dear God that you'd help me to be used in your hand to preach the word of God to your people to remind us God of truth that we stand in need of and Lord there's so much that can be said out of Acts chapter number 20 I pray God that you'd help me to only say the things that you would have said today fill me with the Holy Ghost I pray use me dear God I pray as only you can help me Lord to be used as a voice Lord not just a hollow sound and echo but a voice speaking into the lives of each and every person here and I pray that the Holy Ghost of God would illuminate each heart to the message to the application of the message God that you would have for each one may all be blessed may sinners be saved may lives be changed may the people of God find encouragement and strength and direction for life and just anything they stand in need of may they find it at your hand Lord I realize that I can do nothing and in my flesh I will do absolutely nothing. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. Direct everything that's said and done tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd help these people that I love so much. I didn't come in here tonight to hurt them. Lord, I didn't come in tonight to waste time. But I pray, dear Lord, you'd help us to take an eternal moment and share an eternal truth. And Father, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do. Please, God, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When we come to this passage of Scripture tonight, we've read it together. We understand that beginning in verse number 17 all the way down to verse number 38 of Acts chapter number 20, the Apostle Paul, previous to this moment, has been used of God to uh, found the church in Ephesus. The book of Acts records that. He spent three years in Ephesus preaching uh, to that city, God using him greatly. It would, no doubt was in his heart because because three years was the longest that Paul stayed at any particular ministerial location in his entire ministry. Uh, this was a church that was near and dear to his heart, and in those three years God had used him not only to disciple uh, converts, uh, but he also used him to invest in the lives of those who God had placed a call upon to uh, be uh, raised up as church leaders and uh, those leaders looked at the Apostle Paul. He was their pastor, if you will. He was their uh, mentor. He was their spiritual leader. And now, according to this passage, as the Bible says, he has called them together in verse number 17. And uh, from uh, my, in uh, the Bible said, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And he does that. And beginning in verse number 18, all the way down uh, to verse number 35. 
the Bible says that he begins to speak to them and share with them what God is doing in his life and that is that God is moving him to another ministerial assignment but in moving him it's not just that he is being moved from ministering in their city but it is the fact that it's mentioned twice in this passage now it's mentioned there in verse number uh, in verse number 25 and then again in verse number 38 that when God moves him this time they would never see him again and if you remember, we began to talk about that we see some things in the hearts, in the text here about what no doubt is taking place in the heart of these Ephesian elders as the one that has, as the man of God that has preached to them and prayed for them and protected them from the doctrines of devils and pointed them to the scriptures of God and to the God of the scriptures and the one that has done all of that for them is being taken away. It's being removed from them never uh, to see him again. And we began to talk about, we began to speak on the subject of when God takes away your preacher. And uh, we began to look here in this passage about how these individuals must have felt. No doubt their hearts were broken. No doubt uh, their minds were perplexed. No doubt for them they might have seen as if there would be no light at the end of the tunnel. These are men that are essentially just beginning in the ministry. They uh, have grown to the place to where now they are leaders in their own right. But to, and I'll be honest with you from experience, God is a allowed any of us that uh, have come to a place in ministry to where now you are the pastor and you are the leader. When you get to a certain point in ministry, there is an overwhelming awareness of the fact when your mentors are gone, when your pastors are gone. I'll be honest with you, in 2017 was when God allowed a little 22-year-old young man to become a pastor for the first time, and I left and went over 500 miles away from home to a city that I had never been to, but once in my life to preach a revival. I, we left, and I took my wife, and I took a four-month uh, four old baby uh, that we, we, we didn't even have it down, per se, of even being parents yet, and we're bringing this new life and we're bringing our very young uh, family we'd only been married a little over a year and we're bringing a very young family uh, into a, a new environment and in 2017 when I took Grace Baptist Church in Brunswick, Maryland and then one year to the day God brought us here and I had my first son one year exactly to my first Sunday there God brought us here and had my first Sunday here and I'll say this from experience y'all listen to me when the leaders are gone, you can tell what a great awareness it is when now you become the leader. You become the one that people are looking to. It's no longer I'm just in head. I'm just the head of a nursing home ministry. It's no longer I'm just a, my pastor's help. It's no longer that I just fill the pulpit when he's sick or when he's out of town or when he's preaching a meeting or something like that. Uh, but it, it's not your, when you're not no longer the one that if somebody comes to you and they have a question for you and you don't know that you just say, well, go ask the pastor. 
I remember the first time when somebody came to me and I wanted to say, no, just go ask. Wait a minute. <laughs> Never mind. That's exactly what you did. I'll say this, when the, when the leaders are detached from your life, there is a void that's left. From the, from the day in February of 2017 when I became the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Brunswick, Maryland, my relationship with my pastor was completely different and it's never been the same. I still thank God I still have a relationship. I still call him for advice. I still call him for fellowship. We still get together. I bring him into our church every chance I get. I go there every chance I can and we try to fellowship through different ways and different medias and, and now he has taken the jump into Facebook land and so after 10 years of him preaching against Facebook he decided to jump into Facebook land uh, to keep connected with guys like us from back home and that's been such a wonderful thing. But you can tell when the leaders are gone. Here these men were losing their leader. Their pastor was being taken away from them. Their preacher was being taken away from them. And no doubt this could have been, and I've seen this happen so many times in, in, in service for the Lord where a pastor leaves a church and it seems like especially not just the church. There, when a pastor leaves a church and God calls him to another ministry or especially if the pastor dies uh, as the pastor and there is a transitional period, there is a lot of uncertainty in the church. There's a lot of questions about the future of a ministry. I've seen that more in the last year and a half than I've seen at any other place in my life. Amen. Uh, but I'll say this, that even though that is the case, one of the things that on the preacher side, on the, on the minister side of this, as a young preacher on one side of the ministry that I've seen is when there is a transition. The, the church, yes, the church is affected. But you know who I see affected the most? It's the young preachers that serve under that man of God's ministry. I've seen some, I've seen at times preachers begin to get cold and begin to compromise and begin to lose fervency and zeal because the leader is gone. They're in the church and all of that. But it, during that period of time, during that moment of uncertainty with the emotions that comes with that, there is so much room for the devil to get in and mess things up and cause a ministry to become, to, to cease or to become stagnant in a moment of transition. That could have happened for these men, but their pastor went to them, the apostle Paul went to them, and he warned them against these challenges. First of all, we talked about when God takes away your preacher, Paul here is encouraging them to not become a casualty of transition. But he's encouraging them and encouraging them. The first thing he encourages them to do is to reconsider the removal of the preacher. Why is God moving him? We talked about it. that It's encouraging to know that when God is moving a man, it means that preacher has been saved because God doesn't speak to those that he hasn't saved. The conversion of the preacher then it tells us, it tells us about the call of the preacher that God is the one that calls men into ministry and therefore since he's the one that placed the calling on them, he's the one that has the right and the only, he's the only one that has the right to tell a man what to do with his ministry. 
And I'll say this, one of the things that I've learned in ministry as well is that a lot of times uh, we as believers will look at a ministry in transition and we, we, we might be tempted to, to, to speak evil of a transition or to put our mouth on a transition, but we don't understand why God is doing what He did. Now I will say this, there's times, that, and this is sad to say, but there's a whole lot of times where men move ministries and God never intended for them to move a ministry. They ne God never transitioned them out, but wanted them to be faithful, and they refused to do that. There's times when that happens. But friend, here we find God moving a man. He's not dead. He didn't lose his life. Now he's on his way to lose his life, not uh, too far from this. Paul would eventually be martyred, but God is moving him to the next place. God does that sometimes. The call of God upon his life means that God can choose to move a man. We may not always understand it. No doubt these Ephesian elders didn't understand why God would do that. And from our standpoint, we can look at, we can look at a situation and give so many reasons why uh, the, the, the transition shouldn't take place. We can, we can come up with our own reasons, but the fact of the matter is, is why all of our reasons may be great reasons. If, if God's doing the moving, he, we don't have to be able to understand his reasonings. I think about a pastor. I'm not going to give any details just simply because I believe all of you would know who I was talking about. But a pastor that I have been very close with in the last several years, God moved him from the church he was pastoring and been out uh, for many years. And God moved him to a new ministry. And God moved him right in the middle of COVID. Now, my, my understanding, my humanly speaking, my thought process is, is, God, why would you take a man from their church during the midst of such a vital time for our churches? But that's what God did. And the result is that God has proven time and time again why God moved the man because God's using him in great ways where he brought him. And then and during the transition, God is using the man that took his place. And how wonderful that is. God knows what he's doing. God's not afraid of COVID. Amen. And in the midst of COVID, God can do what he wants to do and bless on both ends. Amen. But we, we closed the last time we were here. I will say this. We talked about... The conversion of the preacher. We talked about the call of the preacher. We talked just a little bit about the consciousness of the preacher. Look at verse number 22. Paul said, I go bound in the Spirit. In other words, he's telling us that he was constrained by the Holy Ghost to make this move. Again, it is God that does the constraining. It's God that when a man is following the will of God, he has a choice to either be obedient to God or be disobedient because when it comes to the area of a calling, we go bound in the Spirit. Paul said, I go, but I go bound in the Spirit. Uh, that it is God that is binding him. That is God that is putting him under an obligation. He's constrained. But then in verse number 25, he says this. Not all, he says he goes bound in the Spirit. But in verse number 25, he says this. And now behold, I know. We talk about the consciousness of the preacher. He was conscious of two things. That it was God that was leading him. And then he was conscious of the constraint of God in his life. But he was also certain of what God had said, of what God was doing. He said, and behold, I know. 
He talks about what he knows. Not only was he constrained, but he was certain. As we considered this call of the preacher and the consciousness of the preacher, how he was doing what he was doing with the binds of the Spirit of God upon him, we, we began to talk about, we began to ask this question to talk about this. And this is where I believe that it was different from the last time, but I believe God spoke to our church. We asked the question, why does God move a man in the first place? We've talked about here in the passage, we talked about obviously here with the Apostle Paul, God moves preachers because of a ministry. He moves men because of a ministry. There's another ministerial assignment. But we looked in Matthew chapter number 10 and Matthew chapter number 13, and we saw in the example of the Lord Jesus that Christ said that sometimes God will move a man for mercy. I believe with all of my heart, and I preached this to you the last time we were here, I believe with all of my heart that there are times where God will move a man from one ministry to the next, and it is a mercy of God on that preacher and his family. I cannot tell you how many times that I have seen and heard of men that have, have dealt with so many things because they bore the weight of a people and they lived and served a people that, to be honest, did not care about the messages he preached. Did not, care to, did not care to listen to the Lord. They did not care to follow the leadership of a pastor. And that man is there for month after month, year after year. And he is bearing a load of ministry by himself. And the church cannot be motivated or moved no matter who is, no matter what is taken, no matter what's being said, no matter how much he pleads, no matter how much he leads, no matter what he does, they're simply not interested. I mentioned to you then that I believe that I have experienced that in my own life. That God's allowed us to move ministries for mercy reasons. There is, there, there's a, a preacher friend of mine, he's preached here. I believe God moved him and he, no doubt God moved his ministry for mercy reasons because that church, no matter what he did, they did not care to listen. They followed him at every turn. And I believe after so long, it's not that the pastor is weak. It's not that he's not doing what he's not, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. It's not that he's not, not prayerful and seeking God. It's not that he's not willing to stand in his place and fight the hell that has to be fought to get something from the Lord. I am, I am a firm believer that if a church does not want preaching and a church does not want to be pastored, that church, God, if that's God's man and that's God's servant and that's God's preacher and he's doing what God wants, I believe God will have mercy on a church for some time, but he will let them have what they want, and that is no preacher and no pastoring. I know of a church right now that the church was built because it was built on a split uh, there was a group of folks in the church that uh, became off of a part of a great church with a great pastor. Every, if I called the name of the church, everyone in here would know the church and you know the pastor and you, you love the pastor and you love the church's ministry. Many of you have been in that building. It was a split off of that church. 
to where their former pastor, all he did was preach the Bible and try to lead the church, but there was a group of people within the church that did not want him to be able to have any authority as pastor, and so as he tried to pastor the church and lead the church, they became disgruntled, and one of the men that was a ringleader leader of it all, his son, God had called him to preach, and he said, I've got plenty of money, I can build us a church down the road out of my own pocket, my son's a preacher, we can put him up as the pastor, and we can have our own church, and we don't have to deal with this pastor anymore. And that's exactly what they did, Brother Lewis. God did not birth that church. They built their own church. And that church, even though it has only been around for a little bit, probably about the same amount of time this church has been there, that church has had a revolving door of pastors. And my dear friend that had came and preached here, he pastored there for a few months. They voted him out. He started his own church. God led him to do it. The church is doing great. But that church hasn't had a pastor since. Brother James, you know when they voted him out? 2018. He was the first pastor that they had had in probably five years at that time. And so of a period of no more than six months, they haven't had a pastor in 10 years. You know why? God's wreaking Ichabod over the door of that church. He never intended for it to exist. He intended on those people to be there in that first church under that pastor and to submit to his authority as the pastor of the church. And God expected them to get in an altar, fall before a thrice holy God, and get their heart right and get right with God in the church and stay in the church that God put them in to start with. That church never should have existed. And there's only been a small window of time where it seemed like there was any blessing on the church at all. It has had no, it has made little to no difference in their community for almost 30 years of ministry. Zero difference. The reason why they voted out my friend was because he wanted, he became the pastor, and when he became the pastor, he wanted to know who his missionaries were and what they were getting paid. And the guy that had been taking care of the missionaries said, I, run, I take care of the missionaries, you don't need to worry about that. I'll be honest with you, he had a lot more grace than I had, because if I'd have come here and I'd have been told that the missionaries were none of my business, my first Sunday would have been my last. <laughs> and I mean that. Amen. Now the exact opposite was, was true here. <laughs> Brother Tommy had a stack of papers ready for me when I arrived. <laughs> I knew everything about my salary. I knew everything about our missionaries. I knew everything about, amen, different things we'd voted on recently. And I, I just, he, he made sure I knew a lot of those things. Amen. I praise the Lord for that. I appreciate Brother Caldwell when I came. My first, I, wasn't, I wasn't even, y'all didn't even know if y'all liked me yet. I took two steps in the door. He pulled me under his arm and he told me, he said, Preacher, if it's God's will for you to be the pastor here, you'll be the pastor and I'll follow you. And that's the first words he ever told me. First conversation we ever had. That's how I knew we were in a good place. But I believe that God will remove a man of God from a church, from a church that doesn't want him. And I believe if we're not careful, there are times in our churches to where we can forget that Ephesians says that a pastor is a gift to the church. 
that, that evangelists are a gift to the church. That men that come and they give us the truth, they are a gift to the local church. And God's not an Indian giver, but if you, God will give a gift to a church, but if they are going to refuse the gift that He gave, He will no longer extend that gift and He'll take it away. My encouragement out of this now as a pastor is this, and I don't know, I've preached this in churches where I wasn't the pastor. Uh, it's harder for me to preach it here, and I hope you'll understand the heart that I'm preaching it here. But the last thing I would, the last thing I'd want to see, to be, and this has never been the case in the history of our church, but the last thing I'd want is for the devil to get in our church and we become like that other church. And we have Ichabod written on the door, and we have decade after decade of zero, that is zero influence for Christ in this community. If we don't, if we don't, if I, I believe with all of my heart, if a man gives his life to preach the gospel and God puts him in a place, it, it, yes, it is the pastor's job, and we'll deal with that here in a minute, to be what he ought to be. But I believe it is just as imperative for a church to receive what God gave them. And it's not just a pulpit filler. It's not just somebody to give up and give a devotion. It's not someone just to get up and give a talk. It's not even someone maybe to get up and give a biblical sermon. There's much that goes along with this. There's an authority to the pastor there. Uh, there is more than just preaching, but I believe it starts with preaching. If I, if I stand up here week after week after week and I preach the Word of God and I preach the Word of God and it's in the Bible and it's not my opinion, it is your duty as a church. If you want to still have a church for our babies, it is your and for ourselves, it is your job to not only hear what's being said and let it go in one ear and out the other or to sit there and just listen and just show up and it not mean much to you and be so cold and just so uh, just so standoffish towards it. No, if you want to have a church in the days to come, a church that God blesses, it's a church that loves preaching, and a church that submits to the, will, to the Word of God, follows the man of God as he follows Christ. Now, here's what Paul said. God is moving him for ministry, not for mercy. God's moving him for ministry. And as he moves them from, God begins to move him for ministry, and God begins to complete his assignment in these men. In other words, stating that God has used him to pour into these men. And now they are ready to, uh, to be the leaders in the church at Ephesus. And God is going to use them for that as God completes his ministry in them and moves him on to another ministry of uh, another ministerial assignment. Uh, Paul begins to rehearse the kind of pastor that he has been to them. This is the kind of pastor that every church wants to have. This is the kind of pastor that every man that genuinely has been called of God. And by the way, let me say this. There are some men that God does not call to pastor. I believe with all of my heart there are some men, that, and I, I, I can name two of them in my head right now. You wouldn't know them, so it wouldn't matter if I named them. But in my mind right now, there's two men that I know for a fact God has called them to be second men. And what I mean by that is the calling of God upon their life, the, the ministry gifts that they possess are not saving, though they might make a great pastor in their own right, God is not calling them to pastor 
and be a senior pastor and lead a church, but God is calling them to be an assistant pastor. These men have served in an assistant pastor role for decade after decade, and you will not find two greater assistant pastors on the planet than these two men. Why? That's what God called them to do. God has called them to be second men. That's what God created them to do. Not, not every preacher that God calls is going to be a pastor. Not every man is going to be doing what Paul is doing here. There's some that no doubt God is called to be an evangelist, and that's what God has called them to be, and that's what that's what God the way God's going to use them. They're, God created them with gifts that are tailored to that. There are some men that God has not called to a pastor in a traditional sense. A church gives extends a call to a man, and that man receives the call of the church to be their pastor. But God has called them to start a church. God has called them for them to be a missionary, to be a church planner. Never to stay anywhere long. Just enough to turn the ministry over to someone else, someone else and to start it again. Brother Stephen Sykes, one of our newest missionaries, he's on his third church plant right now. I think about Brother Jonathan Williams there in Panama. He is, if I'm not mistaken, he is on either a second or third church plant right now in Panama. By the way, y'all pray for that ministry. The, the, the ministry there with the ranch that we mentioned, God is beginning to open up doors for them possibly to buy land for that ministry. So, so keep that in mind. But God doesn't always extend the same calling to all of His men. But for those that He has called to occupy the position of the pastor in a church, what Paul describes here is what I believe all of them that are genuinely called want to be and strive to be. Now there are some men that have taken pastorates that God never called them to do that. And you can tell by the way the church handles their ministry. If a man's called to be an evangelist and he takes the role of a pastor out of the will of God, you know what that evangelist is going to do? He's going to destroy a church. Amen. If God has called a man to be a pastor and he tries to be an evangelist of his own, you know what's going to happen? He's going to hurt churches along the way and his family's going to starve to death because the meetings will never be there. As much as all of us preachers love to, to preach meetings, I love to receive invitations to preach, and I thank God for every one I get. Do you know why my calendar is not booked up every day of the week? It's not, it's not simply just because, well, uh, there's no opportunity. There's plenty of churches that need revivals. There's plenty of churches that I have connections with that need special guest preachers. Do you know why the calendar's not full? It's because God doesn't want me to be an evangelist. If I'm preaching all those meetings, I can't be here for you. God wants me to preach to you. If God gives me a message, He gives it to me for you first. Now, He may use it somewhere else, but He gives it to me for you first. God here is letting us know the heart of a man of God, the heart of a pastor. And when we just looked at this several years ago, I took these verses and we directed them to Brother Caldwell and what a great pastor he was for our church. I can only say that I hope to be a great pastor like he was, that I hope to be the pastor that Paul was in Ephesus. And he begins to describe 
the value and the ministry of a pastor that's doing it God's way. Notice with me, not only when God, uh, when God takes away your preacher does He encourage us to reconsider the removal of the preacher, but God calls us to remember the reputation of the preacher. What is it that Paul gives here about his reputation? Look here in verse number 18. The Bible says there in verse number 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, he is beginning to remind him of the reputation that he maintained while he was actively in ministry there on a daily basis. He says, the Bible said, he said unto them, verse 18, ye know. In other words, everything I'm about to tell you, you are the proof of it. You know what I'm saying is true. He said, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia afterward, what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Notice what the Bible says about what his life has shown. His life in their presence that they saw and they witnessed was a life of steadfastness. In other words, Paul is saying that right here in this moment, you knew that I was the same way I am now all of that time that I was with you. He uses this phrase, speaking of steadfastness, he says, at all seasons. Do you know that ministries go through seasons? Did you know that churches go through seasons? There are some times when you look at a church's ministry and it seems like God is just pouring on the blessings. That could be a summertime season in a church. It could be a springtime where it seems to be new life and new growth. and All of those things happen for a church, but just as much as there's summertime where everything is bright and vibrant and wonderful, that there's a springtime where everything seems new and it's growing and it's just, it's just blossoming. There are those times, but just as real as those two seasons in a church, so is the wintertime. So many times pastors jump ship and try to go to a new ministry because it's winter time in their church. Paul here is saying that God, had, that these people know that he has lived for God in such a way that he didn't jump ship in their midst in a winter time. At all seasons means we have been through the ebb and flow of life together and you saw steadfastness in my life. Can I say this? I want to be a pastor and I want to be a Christian whose life mirrors and shows to this world, shows to my church, shows to my family steadfastness. That I'm not going to quit when things get hard. I'm not going to quit when ministry gets hard. I'm not going to quit when loving people and serving people at times gets more difficult. Amen. Let's be people of steadfastness. Paul said that his life showed steadfastness. But he also says that it showed service. He says there in verse number 19, not only did they know what manner he had been with them at all seasons, but verse 19, the Bible says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Notice those first three words, serving the Lord. He had a life of service. They could look at him and they knew that he was serving the Lord. I want God to know about me and I want God's people to see in my life, not a service of self, but service for the Lord. Can I say this? If I'm going to spend my life doing any kind of service, I want it to be a service for the Lord. Amen. I want it to be a service that matters in eternity. A pastor that loves his people just like Paul in their midst tries to show a service for the Lord. I hope in my life and in my family's life you see that we love you and we want to serve the Lord with you. 
Here the Bible says serving the Lord. How does he do it with all humility of mind? Paul didn't serve the Lord because of what it would get him. He did not serve the Lord uh, with, uh, with the trying to, to climb a ladder of success. And the Bible said he served the Lord with many tears. Let me say this. I appreciate the church this past uh, September, all the things that y'all did for us for pastor appreciation. And uh, I'm not going to mention who wrote it. The person that did write it is in here, and they'll know who I'm talking about. But there was a card. And by the way, I know I was supposed to read one a day or something. I think that was my instructions. I read them all as soon as I got home. <laughs> I read the first one, Brother Matthew, before I left this platform. I saw it when it opened, we opened the box. Matthew's, Matthew's encouragement to me was to keep the candy jar full. <laughs> and so it's still in there, and it's still at the front. Where it is at my, in my office tonight, it's still at the front. But we had a precious lady in our church that wrote this on a card that said, Preacher, I appreciate something to this effect. I'm not quoting it directly. Preacher, I appreciate the fact that you're not afraid to get emotional when you preach. Amen. That you're not afraid to get emotional with how you ministered our church. And, you know, I, I cry because that's just what I do. But Paul here says it's okay. When you serve the Lord, it's okay to do it with tears. It, 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 by the way, if something affects you emotionally, it means that it's something you genuinely care about. If we're serving the Lord, don't you think it should affect us emotionally to the point to where we're invested to the point to where when God's blessing, amen, that there are tears that come along with that. I think that's one of the greatest, the greatest travesties of this Laodicean church age we're living in is that we can serve the Lord with no tears. Where are the tears that used to stain our altar? Where are the tears that used to run down our faces when people mention a great need in their life, when people's families are broken up in sin? Where are the tears where prodigals are living out in the world and they need to get right with God and we want to see them saved or right with God? Where are the tears when it seems like hell is having its way in our families and in our churches and in our country and in our homes? Amen. Where are the tears? Paul said that you knew that I served you with humility of mind, and not just with one tear, but with many tears. And he doesn't just mention the tears here. He mentions it again in verse number 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn uh, every one night and day with tears. Not only did he uh, have tears in his service, he had tears in his preaching. The Bible said he served the Lord with tears and temptations which befell me by lying in the way of the Jews in his service it wasn't always easy when in his service it wasn't always no, it wasn't always not opposed but he was steadfast anyway and he served the Lord anyway notice this about verse number 20 not only did his life show steadfastness in service but it showed straightforwardness if there's anything I can appreciate in this world of political correctness and everything's PC and everybody's getting canceled for having a genuine opinion. Amen. I, I know that's a new thing. Everybody knows what I mean by getting canceled. Amen. They, they want to, they, they, everybody wants to shut down your life and ruin your life and, and just trash you and dog your reputation. Amen. Because you, you dared to have an opinion. Which for most of us 
is an opinion that is shared by the rest, by most of the red-blooded Americans in our country. Amen. But most of those folks are too scared just to say anything about it. Amen. They want to cancel the ones that are bold enough to say anything when over half of the country, amen, agrees with what they're saying. They're just too scared to say it. Amen. He says this in verse 20, talking about straightforwardness. That's something I can appreciate. In a world that where everything is so politically correct, just somebody to be straightforward. Somebody to be able to tell the truth, just say it, just say it like it is. Amen. Brother Austin that'll be here with us in, a, in, 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 in April sometime. One of, the, one of the things that he used to sing at our home church. He, anybody, y'all you know, ever heard the Greater Vision song, Preacher, Tell Me Like It Is? Brother Austin used to preach that in our church. Amen. And uh, I think I've had him sing it here one time. I might have to have him sing it when he comes. Amen. Uh, but well, I probably shouldn't do that if he's preaching. Amen. Sing it and then he preaches. Amen. Wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But he used to sing, Preacher, Tell Me Like It Is. And the, uh, Rodney Griffin that wrote the song said, Don't worry about my feelings. Don't worry about my shame. Just tell me like it is. I would to God that we'd have more folks that would be at a place to where they're just willing to be straightforward. And then we, we apply these to ministry. Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about his ministry. But I believe we can apply this to Christian living. But I will say this, and by the way, I hope we all would be that way. Verse 20, he said, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but it showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I realize the reputation I have. I've had it. By the when people call me long winded that doesn't bother me. You know why? I've heard it since I was 16 years old. You've been hearing the same thing for 13 years. It don't bother you as much anymore. Amen. There's a certain thickness of my hide that can handle long winded. And uh, y'all want, I mean, y'all, those of you that have been here with us, and I know I'm just talking now, but I, I'm, I'm preaching along the way. Amen. Like I said, this is a weird message for me to preach. There's so many ways you can take it. When I first came here, those of you that were here, y'all remember, if I preached one minute, I preached an hour. Now my messages are somewhere between 45 and 50 minutes if I'm not watching a clock. So I've gotten shorter. Here's my problem, though. If I preach shorter and y'all start dying on me quicker than you did five years ago in an hour, I can very easily go to an hour and ten. <laughs> it's not because of inability. Amen. So the lesson in that is don't die on me too quick. Amen. If my Bible's still open, your Bible's still open. If I'm still preaching, you still say amen. And we'll all get, we'll all get along for it. Amen. I know the reputation I have of being, and I've had it since I was, I've had it since I was a teenager. I piled it on, I piled it on our nursing home folks, just like I piled it on you guys. If I pre, if I preach the, if I pre, if I throw as much into a message as I can, surely there's something in there for you, Amen. Amen. But notice what he says here. He said, "I kept back nothing." One of the hardest things that I have in preparing a message is to have all of the study that God gives and figure out what to leave out. What part of God's Word is okay to leave out? It's usually not until I bring it to the pulpit where God leads me into what is supposed to be left out of a service. But you answer, you prepare the sermon, you prepare the lesson. 
You tell me what part of God's Word is easy to not share when God has showed it to you in the Scriptures. Paul said, I've gave you everything I had. In preaching I have kept back nothing. In service I've kept back nothing. In my life for you I've not held anything back. Nothing that was profitable unto you. What goes in the message? If it can be profitable it's to be in the message. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. Paul lived that. He believed that. He said, I've kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. And in a day where there's churches that will, keep, that will keep so much biblical truth from their congregation and put in things that have no real profit. We need some preachers that will keep back nothing that's profitable. We need some men that will stand in God's pulpit with a backbone, amen, and just simply flat-footed look God's people in the face and say, Thus saith the Lord, and they preach it with conviction. And the people know that when the preacher preaches, he believes every word that he says. That's the kind of preaching we need. That's the kind of pastoring we need. That's what Paul offered these people. I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, and it wasn't just preaching in word. Amen. But he lived it in front of them and showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Amen. He lived a life of service, of straightforwardness and of steadfastness in front of them. His life showed soul winning. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the, and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. And he said, I gave it to everybody. That's soul winning. Paul lived in such a way to where these people saw soul winning in his life, a heart for souls and a burden for the gospel. That's what we need. That's what we should want. And when these men were being told that God was taking their preacher from him, Paul gives them his testimony uh, just to cause them to walk down memory lane and to see this is the kind of preacher I tried to be for Ephesus. You turn around and do the same. He showed a life of, that was settled. Verse 22 and 23, 24. In verse 24 he says this statement, none of these things move me. He said, I'm not shaken. I'm not bothered by these things. Verse 22, he's talking about going bound in Jerusalem and the Holy Ghost telling him that bonds and afflictions abide him. Everywhere he goes, the Holy Spirit of God has told him that there's not going to be easy travels for Paul, that there's afflictions waiting ahead. And Paul was able to look at those that he served. And I would to God more of us Christians would have this. And I beg that God had let me live such a life and pastor here and have a ministry. Amen. To where I'd wear my life shows this, a life that is settled to where even though we know it's not going to be easy sailing, even though it could be physical affliction, even though it could be death, Paul essentially is saying, amen, like, amen, like I've heard some preachers say, amen, I think it was Brother Tony, uh, Tony Hudson saying, talking about his detractors, amen, he had put his hand out and he said, you see how nervous that makes me? <laughs> Brother Sammy Allen used to say the same thing, see how nervous that makes me. In other words, his hand's not shaking, it's not nervous. I would to God that we'd live for God in such a way to where we are unmoved, unshaken by what the world throws at us. The people of God, we have such a hope in Jesus Christ. We have such a hope in heaven. We have such a, we have such a hope in the Word of God that nothing should move us even though too often than not we are so timid 
We are so moved to and fro by the things of this world. We are so easily intimidated when really all we have to know and understand that if we are walking with God and serving God, God is the one that's empowering us. God is the one that's strengthening us. Amen. And I echo the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans in Romans chapter number 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? We shouldn't, we should be settled in our walk with God. Paul lived a life that was settled. He lived a life that was spotless. Amen. Not in sinlessness, but spotlessness. Verse 26, he said, I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul in verse 26 tells him, he says, I take you to record this day. Paul is recalled, we're calling their mind as a record upon his life and his testimony. In other words, he's saying, I'm calling you as a, as a star witness of what my life has done. He said, I call you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. There's no stain that can be laid upon his character. The Bible goes on to say, in verse number 27, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He said, take heed unto yourselves and to, over, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. In other words, Paul is telling them the position that I once had is now yours. Take it to yourselves. Take heed. Be careful. You take this responsibility with great gravity, with great seriousness, with a great regard for what it is. You are the overseers now. It is your job to feed the flock of God. He adds this which he has purchased with his own blood. You want to you talk about a challenge. You want to talk about a weight upon a life. Amen. I mentioned the last time we looked at this passage, those of us that stand in the pulpit, oftentimes we fail to remember the responsibility that we have because people are bad. And it ought not to always be this way. We ought to search the scriptures. People ought to be like the Bereans. But you can absolutely destroy someone's life by not being a student of the Word of God, by preaching the wrong things, by teaching the wrong things. You can direct a life in the wrong direction by not being where you ought to be with God, without being where you need to be in the Scriptures. There's so much effect that we can have by not being what we ought to be. God said that what we have been tasked with overseeing and having in our head and ministering to is the very body that He purchased with His own blood. How important and how great of a responsibility God has given to his men. Paul hands that over to them and simply says, you remember how I've lived in front of you. You remember what my life has shown. You remember what my lips have said, how he kept back nothing. That's plain words. How he kept back nothing that was profitable unto them. That's profitable words. For the Bible talks about them being powerful words, all the counsel of God. And we talk about how power, powerful the word of God is. It's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. In verse number 20 and 27, he talked about, I've not shared to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 20, verse, uh, verse 27, verse 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. No doubt at times these were painful words. Amen. When you keep back nothing, there's going to be something that hurts along the way. They were protecting words. Verse 31 said, therefore watch. And remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. They were words of warning. 
They were words that were protecting them. Paul said, you remember what my life has shown. You remember what my lips have said. And you turn around and do the same. You know, one of the reasons why, as a pastor of this church, I mentioned last time we were in this passage about how every time I walk in this pulpit, I, I still do not forget who I succeeded in the pastorate here. Every time I walk in this building, every decision I make, every message I preach, I'm reminded of the fact that I don't stand on my own shoulders. And if I fail, I will cause great damage to the ministry that Dr. Thomas Caldwell preached and labored and lived for. Church, I want you to know that I never have walked in this church forgetting about the foundation that has been laid and the responsibility I have to continue on a legacy of a great man of God and to do what I can to be what God wants me to be and to be the best pastor for you that I can be. Just like he did. Now I'm not going to do it like him. I can't be him. And, and one of the verses that God gave me when I came when I, when, when, when I was presented with the opportunity to be the pastor of the church and I was seeking God's will as to whether to say yes or no, God, are you leading me in this? Brother Tommy, God did not give me a verse to come here. He didn't say, as he did with Maryland, here's your verse to go. God gave me a verse that was teaching me how to be once I got here. I can show you the verse tonight. Proverbs chapter number 25 one of the, th and I'm paraphrasing this, the verse told me not to try to be Thomas Caldwell. To, it says this, don't stand in the place of great men. He stood right here. Now the platform's a little bit different, the pulpit's a little bit different, but he stood right here and pastored this church for 29 years in the same spot I stand every week. I'm standing physically in the same place. But I'll never be able to stand in his shoes. God does not want me to pastor the way Thomas Caldwell did. God doesn't want me to preach the way Thomas Caldwell did. I couldn't if I tried, and he couldn't do what I'd do if he tried. We're not the same. God has transitioned this ministry, but here's what is the same. Both of us have loved you. Both of us have loved Jesus with all of our heart. Both of us want to be the best pastor we can be. And that includes trying to have a life that will show the people of God how they are to live for Jesus. Is to speak words that are profitable and helpful and healthy and point people to the Bible and not to, not to the world and not to philosophy and not to, not to knowledge of the world, not to the different belief systems that are out there that you can grab by the dozen, but to point people to the book. Amen. Dr. Caldwell's life verse was Joshua 1.8. In Joshua 1 8, it describes the heart that he had. That it is the Word of God that allows a man to be a good success. I can't be him, he couldn't be me. But here's what we both can do, and we both have tried to be in this church is a faithful pastor that'll love this place and do everything that God wants and listen when the Spirit of God leads and constrains us and binds us to do something for Him. When I preach this, the message that God spoke to Dr. Caldwell was that the days of his pastoral ministry in terms of being a senior pastor, preaching week after week, was over. 
and it was time for him to transition into a member. For me as a young man, the message to me was it was time to transition from being a member to being a pastor. Here there's a time of transition. Here we find what, what is to happen when God takes away your preacher. You are to remember the reputation of the preacher. The Bible here talks about keeping nothing back. The Bible here talks about the treasure. Verse 36 to 38, not only are we to, are we to, uh, we are, we are to uh, reconsider the removal of the preacher, and we are to remember the reputation of the preacher, but lastly, we're to call, recall the result of the preacher. Here's what both Dr. Caldwell and I just want and have wanted. Verse 36, to have a ministry that affects people. To have a ministry that changes people's lives, not because we're anything, but because the God we serve has the ability to do much more than we could ever do. Here's what Paul's ministry meant to these Ephesians. When God let them know through Paul that they would never see him again, they, they realizing that their pastor would be gone from them forever. Verse 36 says, And when he had thus spoken, he, kneel, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And this phrase for years has jumped out to me in my Bible reading, and they accompanied him to the ship. Here's what accompanying them to the ship means. They were going to take every step that they could with their man of God. If this is all we get, I'm going to go as far with him as I can. And I'm going to hear every word that he has to tell me on the way. That is the treasure of the pastoral ministry. That is the treasure of the relationship between a pastor and their church. It is to be a close relationship. It is to be an intimate relationship in a spiritual sense. It is to be a trusting relationship. It's to be a treasured relationship. Paul said that these individuals here, when it came to Paul's relationship with them, do you see what they missed the most? This is striking to me. You know what they missed the most? Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake. It wasn't they sorrowed most of all for his administrative prowess, his ability to plan, his ability to book a singing group, his ability to entertain, his ability to just uh, to have just to be fluid with words and never stutter and never stammer and just be the perfect picture of oratory ability. That's not it, it wasn't any of that. What they missed the most was the preaching of the Word of God, the words that he declared to them. That tells me that Paul in his life made an indelible mark upon the hearts of those human beings of another generation of Christian servants. God called me when I was eight years old, preached my first revival at 16, preached my first full-length meeting at 18, took my first church at 22. Preached in jails and nursing homes and people's houses and street corners. There's videos of YouTube on YouTube of me preaching as a 17, 18 year old kid at, on the street preaching. 
Why, why do men give their lives to preach the Word of God? For one reason. When I stand before Jesus, I hope that every one of you, when you stand before Jesus, will be able to tell the Lord, Josh Lawson made an impact upon my life. He preached to me the Word of God, and it pointed me to Jesus. Whether it's for the people that the Lord has let me lead to Christ, or it's all the people that the Lord has let me say, turn in your Bibles to and just try to walk through a passage of Scripture to teach people more about the wonderful Christ that we have, the wonderful Savior that we have. I'm telling you, I'm more excited about preaching and serving Jesus today than I was all of those years ago when I got started. Because the longer I go, the more I realize that if I'll let God use me, I can touch a life and they'll never be the same. It's not me, it's the Spirit of God. But I can be used in the hands of Jesus Christ to make a difference that'll never change, that'll, that'll never be erased. If I can do that for one person, I could lay, if I could lay my, if, I, if even tonight all of this that I've just tried to preach in such a weird way, if I can just say that it helped one person tonight, I could lay my head down tonight and never wake up and it'll be okay to know that my life is counted for Christ. Church, all those years ago when I preached this to you on my very first Sunday before I was ever your pastor, I preached these truths and I pointed you to a man that's been faithful to embody every, every one of these in any way that I can imagine a man could embody these. As I preach it tonight, I stand before you and say, I know that I may not be there yet. I'm not like Dr. Caldwell looking back on a lifetime of preaching from the age of 20 to 83 when he stepped off of the platform for the last time as the pastor of this church and looks back on a whole life of ministry and thousands of people that have been touched for the Lord and thousands of times he said yes to Jesus and loved Jesus and served Jesus and gave God his everything. I don't have that yet. But as I look before you and I make this promise before God, I tell each and every one of you it's what I want. That's the ministry I want here. And I love you and your family. And by the good help and the grace of God, you pray for me. I want to embody every one of those things. And I know I'm preaching about preachers. But I preach the way I do. And I preach all the things that I do. Because I want you to embody it as well. I want you to be that kind of Christian as well. If Paul can be that way, you and I can be that way. And that's what I want. And I hope that's what you want. God help us tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.